had to bring my coffee up here. There will be intermittent pauses throughout the sermon for me to be able to drink my coffee. I just got back from camp yesterday and uh, did not think this through when Chris was like, anybody want to preach? And I was like, I'll preach. And uh, so therefore, I'm tired. Some people made some other remarks to me earlier today, said I looked other things. That's not the truth. I'm just tired. <laughs> so um, today is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to everybody out there. Um, we're glad you're here. Uh, felt that it was kind of a, uh, a fitting day to talk about influence. So today we're going to talk about the influence of parents on children's lives. So the passage we're going to read, we don't have much scripture today, so you don't have to write much. Proverbs 22.6 reads this. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let me insert a disclaimer here. So the Gospel uh, Transformation Bible actually writes it. They don't say it's a disclaimer, but it kind of is a disclaimer. It says this. It says, this proverb is not a sure formula for success in child rearing. It is an assurance of how profound a parent's influence can be. Though that influence may be rejected, the proverb provides a reliable guidance, but they do not always address every contingency encountered in a sinful world. Wise parents invest in a child during the crucial early years because such care typically has godly results. But even the best parenting can result in a prodigal and prideful son. And ultimately, the way a child should go is not a college or career choice, but an eternal choice to live for God. Such a way is profoundly influenced by parents' actions, but is ultimately determined by the child's heart. And that doesn't sit necessarily real well with us because as uh, our hope is when we read a proverb like that, train a child up in the way that he should go and he shouldn't depart from it when he's old, gives us, you know, can give us this hope of like, well, if we raise our child the right way, the child's going to turn out the right way. And we've seen that, and some of us have had children that have not, that has not turned out that way, has been in church their whole lives, and they've, they've went and they've ran. But it does say, though, that this, this is a true statement that as you, as you pour into a child that, that it goes. And it also says in Psalms that the word, when the word is like poured out, it doesn't return void. So like when we, when we pour out Scripture and we pour out the love of Christ towards our children, it doesn't become void. It doesn't come back to its void. Um, but so it's fair to say that our assumption, or it's fair to make the assumption that our ultimate goal is that for all of our children would come to know Christ. That, that one day that, that, that God would wake them up and that they would come to know Jesus Christ and that they would be changed by it. I mean, that's the hopes for Ruger and for Ruby is that through me and through my wife and through my, the, my parents and through those that are also in my child's life that they will come to know Christ one day and that they'll be changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. So today I want to ask two questions and then we're going to kind of break those questions apart. The first one is whose responsibility is it to disciple a child like Honestly, like, if we were to ask that question, everybody in here is saying, well, us, obviously, like the parents. But the truth of the matter is that sometimes, even though that we might say that, we put off that responsibility to other people at times, and we just maybe don't know about it or don't realize that we're doing so in the, in 
the time of it. But then the second question is this, what's the most effective way to do so? So we'll start with the first question, whose responsibility is it to disciple a child? Um, you know, a lot of times, especially those who have high school students or have had high school students and went through, you know, there, it gets to that time like when your child goes to high school and they begin to like, their head starts spinning around and things like that. Like, who are you? Right? Like, oh, I think probably anybody who's had teenage kids have had that moment. And then now that I get to teach students, like, every day, I see it too. And I'm like, man, are some, what's wrong with y'all? Um, but a lot of parents would think, and, and the world would think that actually friends have this huge influence on how a child's going to turn out. Like, people are going to think that, you know, we're going to put our kids in a public high school, and we're afraid if we put them in a public high school that they're just going to turn out like horrible people or hor with horrible educations and things like that because we have all these other students that are going to impact them, and you're going to have all these other kids and other families like pouring into them, and your kid's just going to be messed up and jacked up. And I would agree there's probably some truths to that. There are some truths that, you know, going to school... You see, you see kids, like, you know, even in, in the now, like in the school that I teach at, you have these kids that are like kind of like the key kids. They're the kids that all the other kids want to be like. And, you know, some of them you're like, okay, you're probably worth imitating. And then other ones you're like, oh, my gosh, this is not good. But you have these people that, that are influencers. You have these kids that are influencers, and then what happens is that they begin to influence the people around them, and you have just now a bunch of people that look the exact same, and you have this one that started it all and stuff. So we would agree that kids do have an influence, or friends do have an influence on their peers, but maybe only for a temporary amount of time. Like, I can remember being in high school, Holy cow, like you probably tell now, like I'm not the most well-dressed person at all. Like I hadn't washed these jeans in about a month. <laughs> and I literally found them on the floor <laughs> or in the dirty clothes, just being honest this morning. I just got back from camp. Like all my clothes were dirty. It's all out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't know, the shirt's clean. It was wrinkled, and so I was like stretching it this morning. <laughs> To, like, get the wrinkles out. <laughs> My wife was still asleep. <laughs> I was like, mm, stretch, the, stretch the wrinkles out of it. But I can remember as a high school student, like, wanting to have, like, back in the day, man, the early 2000s, American Eagle and stuff like that. And I can remember wearing these, I don't know, they were hemp. Maybe it was hemp necklaces with these, like, wooden balls on it and stuff like that. That was, like, the thing to wear. And, like, looking back now, it's like, what was I even thinking? But that was the thing. That's what everybody wanted. I remember even getting frosted tips in my hair at one point because everybody else was, and it was just like, this seems like the right thing to do. <laughs> and looking back, it's like, um, but yeah, so that, in that sense, is like there was a time in my life that my friends influenced me to have frosted tips and wear orange cargo shorts and stuff and like, and hemp necklaces. And like, that was the thing. And like, I was temporarily influenced like that. And I'm really, I thank God that I don't do that anymore. Like, 
I don't even worry. I try to tell the kids all the time. I'm like, no, you're not going to care what you look like in about 10 years. So just wait till you get married. No. So, but kids do. There is like, there's a time in a child's life that they tend to be more influenced by the things around them than they are their parents. But we see that the parents' influence earlier on in a child's life eventually comes to fruition later on in life. Like, I see that the way that I was raised as a child, even though I might have acted a little weird as a high school, middle school and high school student, that eventually the the things that were implanted in me as a child eventually came out later on in life. So, uh, for a period, all these kids, they're influenced by their peers, but ultimately, like in Proverbs 22, it says, train him up as he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. But to see, the true influencers on a child's life is on the parents, rests on the parents' shoulders. It's on your shoulders. It's on my shoulders. Like, it's our duty as parents to raise our children right. It's our responsibility to teach our kids about Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus, what it looks like to follow Jesus, to teach them what's right, to teach them what's wrong, to teach them about how to be a father, how to be a mother. Like, we always, when we do marriage counseling, premarital counseling, sorry, premarital counseling, we always bring up this, this piece in Ephesians 5 where it talks about the husband's duty to the wife and how really it's kind of this image of Christ in the church. But it's our duty as men to love our wives well because what's gonna happen is, is that our sons, if we have sons, our sons are gonna look like the men that we are. And our sons are gonna love their wives like we love our wives, like we love their mama. Right? So it's important for us to love our wives well because our sons, it's important to imprint that into them so that they love their wives well. And then if you have a girl and you're like, okay, well, I have a boy, what does that mean? But if you have a girl, what that means is that now your daughter is looking for men that are like you. Like, are you loving their mama in such a way that they look for a husband that's going to love them the same way that you love their mama? And so it's important that these things that we, we develop early on in life with our, with our children, these, these habits that we, we have with our children early on are going to come to fruition later on in life. It's not going to be their friends that are going to influence them how to be a father. It's not going to be their friends that are going to influence them how to be a mother. But it's us. It's us as parents. It's our duty to do that. And so another way, another thing that over the past like 70 years or so, there's came, this, came along this thing called youth ministry. Like 70 some years ago, early, before like the 30s, there was no really any youth ministry at all. And then early in like 1940s, there was an organization called Young Life that came out. And then Youth for Christ, which was kind of started by Billy Graham, that, that started coming into, into the scene but there wasn't really youth ministry. Youth ministry really didn't exist back in the day. Like the way that a child learned about Jesus was either A, most importantly, from their parents or in church, like sitting in church just like this. And so we're not taking anything away from youth ministry. I kind of like youth ministry. It's pretty good. It's fun. I like hanging out with your kids and all. But 70 some years ago, there wasn't any of this stuff. And that discipleship came from the parents. And unfortunately, what's happened is, is that as we have, as t- 
time has went on, youth ministry has taken the place for discipleship. That the discipleship of a child then begins to rest on the shoulders of youth workers and youth pastors and pastors and all this stuff. That, that teaching a child about Jesus is now someone else's problem. And that's where I was saying, sometimes we just don't think about it. Like, there's nothing wrong with sending your child to youth, like to church camp, which happens to be July 21st through 25th, and you can sign up at the welcome desk out there. Yes. Shameless plug. We have 29 students going. We need 29 more. Actually, we need more than that, but we just won't. But so sometimes it's not bad that we send our kids to youth camps and send them to youth group, but it needs to be complementary to what you're teaching them at home. Like my goal as a youth pastor is that I'm to come alongside you and help just reaffirm the things that you've already been teaching your kids. You know, we've been, the church is 15 years old, right? I think. Uh, Something like that. Yeah, I've been here on staff, 10 of it, okay? And and it's finally, it's kind of cool to see that we're starting to see some of our first kids come all the way through the program. Like, to come through from the time that they were in Little Kids Church all the way out, okay? Peyton Carr, there's one right there. Raise your hand, Peyton. Put it up higher. There she is. <laughs> I just wanted to call her out. But she was one of these kids that came all the way through. Like, she was this little bitty kid going through kids' church, going through students, all the way into high school, and then graduating. We've got kids, multiple kids that are coming through the program, and we're starting to see some real fruit from that because they've had parents that have been plugged into this church, parents that are plugging into their lives and pouring into their lives, and then there's youth workers and, that are pouring into them, and we're starting to really start to see the fruit of these kids growing in the relationship with Jesus. A lot of times, parents feel that they're not qualified to teach their kids at times. Like, there's a lot of times where they, they don't feel that they can do it because they don't quite know enough, right? Like, that's unfortunate in, in, a, in a world that, like, we, we come we come to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and then we don't feel that we could tell anyone else about that process to get to that point. We were at a thing, and I've said it, I've said it before, but it was so impactful to me, uh, probably... Eight years ago, we were down at a, a conference down in Texas, in Austin, Texas, and there was this Chinese guy who had, who had pastored and, and started like thousands of these home churches, you know, and they were saying it was probably one of maybe the largest apostolic movements since like Paul, since like the times of, of Jesus. There were so many people coming to know Jesus, and he sits there and they, they just asked them real simple questions like, well, how do you do it? Like, how do you get people to grow in their faith in Christ? And he says, this is it. We teach them ABC, they teach ABC. We teach them one, two, three, they teach one, two, three. And it's this simple, complex or idea that we learn a little, we teach a little. We learn a little more, we teach a little more. I mean, that's what I do every day in class. Like, in school, I'm like, Oh, man, I don't know how to do this. Get on YouTube, you know, figure out how to teach it. Just staying ahead kind of deal. I mean, that's the truth of it. Don't, don't judge me. That's my <laughs> boss right there. 
I'm truthful. Would you rather have a dishonest teacher or an honest teacher? So. <laughs> but as parents, sometimes we feel underqualified to be able to teach our kids about Jesus. Well, man, all we got to do is learn ABC. And then we just got to teach your kids ABC. Now, it's on your shoulders to learn more, you know, and it should drive and push you to want to know more about Jesus Christ and to love Jesus Christ more. Like, it should want and make us want to learn more. Like, I honestly accredit this ministry is into the growth of my own life. Like, I look back, if I had never been asked by Chris to come on staff and teach students, I don't know that I would have ever really dug into the Word like I ever dug into the Word. But because I felt this responsibility, like, I've got to teach these students what it means to love Jesus, I need to fall more in love with Jesus. Like, I need to learn more about Jesus if I'm going to teach these kids more about Jesus. And so as parents, it's the same thing. Learn, continue to learn, and continue to pour out because it's your responsibility. It's more likely to stick with your kids if you tell them about Jesus than if I tell them about Jesus or a youth worker tells them about Jesus. I mean, Proverbs 22 says it. Train your child up in the way he should go. Not let the youth workers train your child up in the way they should go. That way they should never depart from it when they get older. But it's you. Train your child up. I mean, it's the same for me. Like, it is my duty to train Ruger and Ruby to love Jesus and hope that one day Jesus grabs a hold of them and they grab a hold of Jesus and are changed forever from it. Other times, it's, it's hard. I think we, we also see this, parents have this, uh, like, well, I, you know, I can't tell my kids about Jesus. Like, I can't, I can't <clears throat> tell my kids not to do certain things because I did them when I was a kid. Like, I can't tell my kid not to be out there drinking when he's like 15, 16 years old because I drank when I was 15, 16 years old. I didn't because I thought I was going to hell so that's why I didn't. <laughs> like, I always thought I was going to lose my salvation. So I never drank because I was like, you're going to go to hell if you drink. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that worked out. But man, that, that's a whole other sermon we could talk about. <laughs> Freedom in Christ. Um, but like a lot of times parents get this like idea that they can't tell their kids what to do because they're guilty of doing the same thing. Like, that they're, they did that when they were kids, so I can't justify telling my kids not to do it because I did it. That's the dumbest logic there is out there, right? Like, it's like telling, it's like your kid walking towards a cliff, and you're like, well, I walked off a cliff once, so I'm not going to tell him. Like, hey, turn around. Turn around. Like, don't walk. So, and this really kind of, I had this epiphany last week. I was at camp, and... I was a counselor at camp for years. I mean, at this camp for 17 years. So for the first like seven or eight years, I was a counselor. Like I had a kid. We had a lot of fun and things like that. And there was, a, there was the director and like the director's like giving out all this information, like things that you shouldn't do, things you shouldn't do, things you shouldn't do. And in my head is like, how far will those bend? How far will those bend? Right? <laughs> and so... And I'm not that way, no. So, for instance, one of the rules is like, 
counselors, you don't need to be on golf carts. All right, well, that's fair enough. That makes sense. But does, if you don't see us, does it count? <laughs> and so, like, we would wait until it was nighttime, and we'd go steal the golf carts. And, like, we'd drive around. And, like, in land between the lakes. And there's all these trails where it says no motorized vehicles. And so we're driving these golf carts down these walking trails. Our justifications, we're just trying to keep the grass down so that the trail is in better shape. But we're driving these golf carts all through these trails. And it's like not following the rules. We're like, eh, we're just bending them. They're not seeing us. And the, they'll be back in the same place when they get back with a flat tire. But this week, well, and over the past couple years, I've moved into a staff position. So, like, I, I stand up there, and I have to tell the rules. And so I'm, like, literally, I'm standing up there in front of, like, 120 people, and I'm like, all right, these are the rules. And in the back of my head is I'm like, I was breaking all these rules. <laughs> like, but here I am. Now I'm the person telling everybody else not to break the rules. Here's the bad part. All the people out in the camp knew that I was the one that broke all the rules back in the day. So talk about a hard audience to, to deal with. It's like, well, I remember that time. I remember that time. But it's my, it was my job to put the rules out there. And the rules were in place for a reason. Like, we want camp to continue and so we have to stay inside these parameters so that camp continues, so that people don't die, right? And so that personal property doesn't get torn up. And, and, and so we, I had to stand up there and tell all these things, even though in the back of my head I was thinking, I was the guy breaking all these rules. Like, I was the guy that broke the whole rear axle out of a golf cart at camp and had to overnight all the parts from Augusta, Georgia, to land between the lakes to fix it before we return the golf carts so that nobody would know. But the whole logic of a parent saying, because I did that, I can't tell my kid not to do that. You see, for me, it, it was for the good of the camp for me to share the rules, even though I had broken them. It was still good for me, and it was good for the organization for those rules to be in place. As a parent, it's still good for you to tell your child, hey, don't do that. I did that. It didn't work out well for me. You shouldn't do it either. And then it's kind of funny that as, as talking about that Proverbs, that passage in Proverbs about training a child up and the way he should go, and then he won't depart from it when he's old. I was at the mall a couple weeks ago, and I was talking to a student that used to be in the youth group. Super artistic kid. Super talented kid. And so his parents recognized how talented he was. They put him in, like, art school. Well, we all know that at art school, and we're, okay, so we're not talking about politics here. I'm just putting it down there as a blanket statement. It's not a pol this is not a political stab. But <clears throat> just putting it out there. But, like, he went to an artistic school, like, I mean, to, to continue growing in his artistic abilities. Well, he gets there, 
And it's a super like liberal arts kind of thing, like things that he was taught. He was raised in a very political conservative home, and then he goes to a school that had a very liberal atmosphere to it. And it's funny that, that as he grew in high school, being around kind of a liberal arts, open-minded thing, it actually shifted the way that he went to college. So now I was like, so hey, where are you going to college? And he said the school he was going to, and I was like, wow, that's really conservative. And he was like, yeah, you know, because I went and I kind of realized all these things in life of the way that I grew up and the way that I was raised didn't really match the way that I was raised. And so like trying to get back to the point in my life to where I'm kind of in the same thought process as I was when I was, when I was raised. And so it was funny. It made me think about that passage. I was like, he was raised his whole life in this kind of like conservative Christian home, went to a very liberal high school, and then ended up going back and being now into a conservative college. <clears throat> Parents are the most influential person in a kid's life. Like there's no other thing. There's no other... No other person that's going to influence your child more than you are. Children reenact what they've seen their whole lives. I mean, I move my hands like my dad. If my dad was up here preaching, he'd be moving his hands too. That's just what we do. We move our hands when we talk. Like, people say, I sound like my dad. That's true. You can talk to dad today, and you'll be like, oh, that, you're right. But children reenact what they've seen their whole lives. And, and the reason why is because there's that heart connection. There's that heart connection that happens. There's that time where your kid's laying in your bed with you. There's the time that the kids cuddle up to you on the couch, that you're at the ball games and you're cheering your children on and they hear you cheering for them. It's this heart connection that makes that influence so strong. Which leads us into our next question. What is the most effective way for us to disciple our children? I preached on discipleship a couple years ago, and I'm, I'm bringing back a whole section of it. I literally just copied and pasted it out of my notes, but I felt that it was so worthy of an of a idea that we needed to talk about it again. But I ripped it from a guy named John Maxwell, all right, who is known for developing leadership amongst corporate and Christian sectors. He says that relationships are the most effective way to do discipleship. I mean, if that's true, like as we see it with our kids because of that heart connection we have with our kids, that our kids are gonna turn out very much like us, relationships are the most effective way to discipleship. Tim Keller makes the point that preaching is one of the least effective ways to create disciples of Jesus. Me standing up here telling you how to love Jesus is not as effective as me saying, come on, let's go. I'll show you how to love Jesus. John Maxwell says this. He says, too many leaders are like travel agents. And when he said this, I was like, man, that's a great idea. That's a great thought. Are like travel agents, sending people where they've never been before. Right? It's like you go to an office and they're like, you can go see these statues that are on an island. And some of them are buried underground. Well, I mean, I don't know that. I've never seen it. I've never been there before. Like, or you can go to this remote island 
and sleep over the water. You know, and it's like they, they pitch this idea, but they've never been there before. It's so much easier to tell somebody about something when you've been there before. When you're able to like tell them what it smells like or what the humidity's like. You're able to, to tell them like about a local restaurant that's in the town. Like it's easy to convince somebody they should go somewhere or do something when you've been there yourself before. But he says that too many leaders are like travel agents, sending people where they've never been before. He says leaders, or we can insert parents, need to be like tour guides, bringing people along with them. As parents, if you think about it, that's what we do with our children. They just live life with us. Like, there's tons of people in our house. There's, we're going to other places, other people's houses. We're having conversations. And our kids are sitting there and they're watching us. Or they're participating. Leaders and parents need to be like tour guides, bringing them along with them. This is where I live and this is what I do. And this is how you do it. You know, we can take that, even if you're not a parent today, you can take this same concept into everyday life, like invest into other people. Tell them to come along with you. Take them fishing. Go drink coffee together. Go have a beer together. Like, go invest in one another. Like, spend time with other people. Invite them into your life, doing things with you. And this is definitely evident in the life of Jesus. Jesus walks down the shore, calls the first disciples. All he said to them was, follow me. And he said they dropped everything and they followed him. They dropped everything that they had, their livelihood, their friends, their social status, everything, and they left and they just followed him. Jesus didn't say, hey, do this, do this, do this, and do this. He said, come do this with me. Come see for yourself. We see it throughout the Gospels when something would happen, right? Jesus would, would then gather his disciples together, the apostles. He'd gather them all together, and then he would explain what happened. Or he would tell a parable, and all the guys would be like, what does that even mean? What does that mean? And then so... Jesus would say, all right, fellas, this is what it means. Let me break it down for you. And their eyes would be open to what Jesus was preaching. You see, the same thing's true like when our kids do something, whether it's good or it's bad, or we see somebody on the side of the road. For instance, like we live in Nashville. There's panhandlers everywhere. Or, you know, when you have people coming up to you asking for money, it's like, how do you approach that person? Like, how do you... In that moment when, when your child's sitting there watching you, are you going to have a cold heart towards another human being? Are you going to be sympathetic or empathetic? Are you going to say, I don't know what you're going to spend this money on, but that's not for me to judge. And you're going to give them a dollar, two dollars, or whatever it might be. That's going to speak volumes. Then you're going to have those moments to be able to speak into your child's life. 
The same way that Jesus did. Jesus, when, when a situation would happen, he talked to his disciples. It's just like us with our children. When a situation happens, we're able to speak into our child's life. Or when our kid does something, we have to smack his butt. Then we set him down and you say, do you understand why I spanked you? Do you understand why you can't do that? And we're just trying to help connect the dots. Jesus tried to help connect the dots with the disciples. The same is true with us and our children. All we're trying to do is connect the dots for our children. And we're just trying to lead them through this life the best that we can, hoping that the gospel will eventually take root in their lives. Jesus spent more time teaching his disciples than he did anyone else. The friends are not going to spend more time than you spend with your kids. Your kids' friends are not going to be able to spend enough time to sway them away from what you've taught them. Jesus was a tour guide, not a travel agent. Parents, take your kids along with you. And I say this like I don't have this all figured out at all. Like I'm having to like absorb this in myself. Like I'm trying to figure out as a parent, like how do I take my kids along with me? How do I balance a busy life and being able to love my kids well and bring them along? But like I don't want to, I don't want to do things that's going to potentially be harmful to my child in the future. John Maxwell also says this. He says, the greatest motivation principle in the world is that people do what people see. People do what people see. Your children do what they see. Like, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to be the first one to say that I'm like the perfect husband. Like, I have times where it's like zero to 60, and I'm angry like that. And like, that I have outbursts. Like, I'm I'm not going to lie. Like, the kids at camp have seen that before, you know. Sometimes it's the silent whisper, and then sometimes I'm like screaming at the top of my lungs. But the sad part of that is that I notice it in my child as well at times, that he imitates the things that I do, the good things, but the bad things as well. Like my child sometimes is zero to 60 immediately, or he's like super emotional about things or super passionate about things. And so that's a little convicting to me in how I live my life because my kid is going to imitate the things that I do, the things that I say. Again, like the way that I treat his mama. And I've got to be thinking about his future wife. How's my son going to treat his future wife? How is my daughter going to search for her future husband? Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That is our goal as parents is that we're to love Christ in such a way that it naturally leads our children to fall in love with Jesus as well. Relationships are the foundation to discipleship. The heart connection between a parent and a child is the foundation of discipleship. And so we're going to finish off with this in case the band needs a, like, 
thing to know that it's gonna, we're going to be done here in a few minutes because sometimes they're out there and they, they don't miss it and they're running down the hallway trying to get up here and Chris has to pray extra long. <laughs> Just being obvious. That way you see some. We want to be transparent here as a church. <laughs> you can see some of the inner workings. But we're going to finish off in a few minutes with this. To break it down in five simple steps. Again, straight from John Maxwell, ripping it right off of him and just kind of implementing some of this parenting into it. He says, five steps for equipping disciples, and in this case, our children. Five steps to equipping our children. It's the first thing is that I do it. I mean, we've already talked about that today, is that, that I do it. Our kids are gonna do what they see. I can't teach my child if I can't do it myself. I can't teach my child if I can't do it myself. You teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. My child is gonna be exactly who I am in, in my being, not of who I say. Like Keller said, the least effective way to create disciples is to preach to them. We need to live it. We need to live it with our children. So the first step is that we've got to do it. I've got to do it. I've got to, if I want to lead my child and I want to teach my child about Jesus, I need to learn about Jesus. I need to love Jesus. I need to figure out what it means to live a life of following Jesus. The second is, is I do it and you're with me. Again, come along with me. If you don't have a child, apply these things still to your life. If you want to invest into people's lives and you want to see people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, then invite them into your life. Come with me. Do life with me. Learn. Learn as I learn. I do it, you're with me. Mentor. You coach the different situations. You ask the questions. You give them reproof. When they do something wrong, you help guide them into what does it look like to be to do it right. It also allows you to observe from an outside perspective. The third is that you do it, and now I'm with you. Now we tell our kids, like, all right, it's your turn to do this. Now it's turn, time for you to try it out. And I'm just going to kind of stand back, and I'm going to help a little bit. Anybody ever taught their kid how to drive a manual transmission vehicle? I know Jeff back there has, because I was really proud that Evan Crow drives a manual truck. But I can remember like trying to teach people back in the day like how to drive a manual. Like they put it in gear. What do they do? Dump the clutch. And it's like, wow. They're like, oh my gosh, or chirp the tires or something like that. Or you remember like, then you're like, all right, give it, give it more gas, a little less clutch. And then what are they? It's like, and you like, then the next thing you do, you smell this smell, that odor. Everybody knows the smell of a burning clutch right? But you're sitting over there in the passenger seat, and you're like, all right, more gas. Let off the clutch a little quicker, all right? It's the you do it, and I'm with you. Like, I'm sitting in the passenger seat, and I'm just trying to help you, and I'm giving you a little bit of extra advice. Or I say, all right, hey, let's switch seats for just a second. I'm going to show you one more time how to do this. You do it, and I'm with you now. I'm watching you, and I'm helping you to get better, 
and I'm fine-tuning. As parents, some of you who have older children, you've seen this. Like, you've, you've trained your child up, and then they get into, like, middle school and high school, and they start doing things on their own. And you're, like, you're trying to, like, hey, that was dumb. Don't do that. Hey, good job. Sometimes we forget to give a lot of the good jobs. Like, a lot of times I think we get caught in just bad, 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 bad. Like, don't, 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 don't. And a lot of times I think we forget to, to like, celebrate, like, hey, good job. Like, way to be a leader or way to do that. Or, like, keep doing what you're doing. And so often it's like, don't do that. Quit. Like, I feel like that's the case in my, my classroom all the time. Like, keep your hand away from the saw blade. Stop. All right, guys, I'm serious. Keep your hand away from the saw blade, you know, and it's, it's a constant. But there's, there's not a lot of like, but I don't ever find myself being like, hey, good job keeping your hand away from the saw blade. You have all 10 fingers still. <laughs> you know. The fourth is, now you just do it. Like, we, we have to get to this. Some of you are in stages in your life now where your kids are, they're kind of going on off to college or maybe they're out of college and they're beginning their careers and things like that. And you're just saying, now it's just, you just do it. Like, I'm still here as a resource, but now it's just, you just do it. You, you just live your life. Like, I've raised you. I did it. I did it. You were with me. Now you did it and I helped you. Now it's time for you to just do it. You don't need me, and you know how to do it. A lot of folks think this is the last step, like they've, they've reached the last step in what it is in raising their child. Just do it. But the last step is probably the most crucial step when it comes to kind of the discipleship process, is that you have now taught your kid how to do it, but now it's you do it, and someone's with you. It's the reproduction state of it. Have you taught your kids how to teach others? Have you taught your kids how to bring others along with them? Have you, you've never trained and equipped someone well until they can multiply themselves. A moment here at church that stuck out to me in this, it was the moment, it was the day Josie Boykin got baptized. And I remember sitting up here, and there was Doc, Nana, Joey, Jenna, Jody, Joy. It was grandparents, parents, and Josie in the baptism, or in the horse trough. (laughs) And we're sitting up there, and it was like, man, God hit me with this truth of that there was these grandparents that have loved Jesus, and they trained their children to love Jesus. And they went through this whole process of I do, I do it, you're with me, you just do it, now, and, and go out and do it and reproduce. And so we have these grandparents, and then we have these parents, and then we see the daughter. We see the youngest of this generation committing her life to Christ. And that the reason she had committed her life to Christ is because her parents had committed their lives to Christ because their parents had committed their lives to Christ. And it was this generational change that because they had did the process and they had worked through it, and it made me think of Proverbs 22, 6. Train your child up in the way they should go. Are they gonna be perfect their whole life? No. 
But there is the hope that they might come back and that Christ might really grab hold of them and forever be changed. We have to create disciples that create disciples that create disciples of Jesus. And our children are our first priority in that. Our children are our first priority to create disciples that create disciples. And discipleship and parenting, as I'm learning myself, is an ongoing, always learning process. There's always a new situation of like, I didn't expect that to happen. And as we grow our children, we are able to help them increase their capacity. And then they begin to increase the capacity of what can be accomplished. And our hopes as Christian parents is that the gospel goes to the ends of the earth and that our kids are vessels in which that happens. That people come to know Jesus Christ through our kids' lives, through our lives. So Proverbs 22, 6, train him up. Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, we thank you for this morning. And God, just the opportunity to be together and to celebrate fatherhood. And God, to celebrate children that have made us fathers. God, I just pray that as a, as we go through this journey of, of being parents, God, that you would just equip and empower us to lead our children well. God, I pray that our children would become followers of you. And God, these children that we dedicated today would become followers of you. And God, that people's lives would be changed because of these young children. God, I just pray as parents, God, that you would just equip us to lead our children well. God, give us the passion to know your word and to love you more. God, help us to lead our children well. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.